everybody. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Let's Talk Housing. If you haven't tuned in before, my name is Brennan Thomas, and I am the co-host here alongside Stephen Thomas, the chief economist and founder of Reports on Housing. Today, our discussion will encompass the latest updates in the housing market, including key numbers and news, and then we'll delve into what the future market could look like if there's a looming recession, a commercial market crash, and the 1980s housing market. So Stephen, why don't you just begin by telling us what is happening in your life inside the large Thomas household? Well, uh, we're getting ready for this Sunday baby shower for our oldest, Michaela Schwedert, and she is uh, having a baby like next month. The heck? So that is when Zeke becomes an uncle. <laughs> That's crazy I guess thought. I become a, I think pop, Papa is what we're going with. Papa. Yeah. I can't have little Zeke here uh, calling me dad. He's five and a half. And then another kid saying, Grandpa, that's just weird. Dad, Grandpa, when he's from a little kid. So we're going to go with Papa. And uh, of course, my beautiful bride will, bride will go with Nini because that was her nickname back in the past, Nini. And hey, you know what? It holds, it actually means grandma in some countries. So there you go, Nini. So she's grandma and I'm Papa. So go ahead. You can refer to me as Papa when you see me. I, no problem with that. Oh, wait, That's funny. how about you? What is going on in the world of Brennan Thomas? Well, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I believe right after our last uh, recording for our episode, we saw Coldplay. I know you were there as well. And uh, my goodness, that was such a fantastic concert. I love them. Um, and then other than that, well, I feel like... Brother, Tyler was there and... Oh, yeah. And uh, Nini was there, and Kyler's girlfriend Allison was there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was a great time, and played all of our favorite songs. So it was really cool to see. Um, and then, other than that, I'd say I've just been closely following the ten-year Treasury. It's been pretty exciting to sort of just watch how everything's moving right now. And then um, also, my favorite team finally beat our, I guess, like the top team in the league and it was just a moment of relief for me it was <laughs> i've been waiting so many years team? who's your favorite team arsenal fc yes yes it is arsenal um it was just mind-blowing i had some of my buddies over here to watch it with me and i was like screaming and running around at like nine in the morning because it was just it was, it was i was ecstatic it was amazing but well Steve, can you update us on what is happening in the real estate market with supply, demand, and expected market time? Uh, yeah, so as you can imagine, when you have interest rates that are hovering near 8%, uh, and the, of course, Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, which takes into account like almost 1% point that you're paying, is hit a new high that we haven't seen since 2000. I think it was November of 2000. So it's getting up there. So when you approach those levels, because we were in the sixes and sixes were high, but now we've gone a full percentage point higher. And because of that, what we've seen, and it, it happened from July on, we were above 7%. But after the Fed met and they talked in uh, last month, ever since that point, everybody is now engaged in this new thing where they could talk about higher for longer. 
And this higher for longer has to do with their dot plots they released and they released the dot plots. And it's of course, they're saying that that interest rates next year are gonna be a half percent higher than what they thought. And as a result, everybody's bought into this higher for longer. And we'll get into that later, but this higher for longer has, has uh, made interest rates float uh, up a lot higher. And since they talked about that, we've had a couple of things that have been unveiled. Of course, that's jobs report. Jobs were totally too hot for everybody's liking on Friday, which, uh, you know what, it's one number and it's one date. It just shows you how strong the, the, the U.S. is. But if you look at long trend lines, it's slowly trending down, a lot slower than everybody anticipated, but it is trending down other than Friday's hot job report. And then we had uh, CPI as well. So those are a couple of reports that have messed with it. It's more of the jobs report last year that messed with it. And we got all the way up almost to uh, 8%. And then since then they've eased a bit. But when you have interest rates that are this high, what is it gonna affect? Right now we have what we refer to as inherent demand. And because it got even higher, there are some buyers that just don't qualify when they make that kind of a jump. And so the buyer pool shrunk a little bit. And as a result, there's still people that can purchase that have lots of money in the bank or are all cash or they can care less. The, the interest rate's not a big deal because they make plenty, but there's not a ton of people that that applies to. So as rates go up higher, that pool shrinks a bit. And we're right now absorbing those higher rates. And as a result, we saw a dip in demand. Now the dip in demand wasn't giant because we typically have see uh, demand come down right now. It's coming down slightly faster than normal, not a big deal, but what we've actually witnessed is we would have absorbed more of the homes coming on the market. There's not a ton of homes coming on the market, but the result is the homes that are coming on the market are not having instantaneous success and they're starting to accumulate on the market. For Southern California as a whole, we actually saw the inventory pick up at the fastest pace of the year. Now, keep in mind, we should have already peaked during the summertime and spring and uh, beginning of summers when you watch the inventory rise, especially after May, we actually watched the inventory rise quite a bit. So to see this late of a rise in October, it's like the last hurrah. Inventory is going to peak soon. It's just that it went up at a, market, uh, at a, uh, a remarkable clip. And so with demand falling and interest rates uh, going up higher, that we have that demand falling, we have inventory rising. So as a result, market times have gotten longer. And we had a big jump in the, uh, in, it, for the expected market time for all of Southern California. And it's not like days on the market. This is the true speed of the market. And it went up five days in the last two weeks. Now that is totally not normal. Typically it's flat right now during this time of the year. So for it to bump up five days is a pretty big uh, change in the velocity of the market. So if you're in the market right now today, all of a sudden you're noticing something is amiss, something is changing, you can feel it and sense it. Well, we can see it in the numbers. And that is what's going on tonight. And I did it for all the other areas too, Vegas, Phoenix, Sacramento Valley, uh, for uh, the Bay Area. They also did the same thing, but Southern California actually added the most homes compared to any any of the other markets. So uh, nationally, it'll be interesting to see what comes out uh, over the weekend for national numbers. We'll see that shortly. Now, I know you kind of touched on it, but there was a CPI reading that came out yesterday. And since our economy is very reactive to these headlines, what did it show? So uh, 
everybody gets stuck on headline and we knew headline was going to be a bit of a miss uh, because of the fact that we have fuel prices that have gone up recently. You, you've seen it with the with all the lions at the Costco gas station because it's the cheapest gasoline around. So people are willing to wait a half hour waiting for the uh, for gas. Um, so when that happens, that also tells me something about the economy when people are that worried about the, the fuel pump. Because actually, the uh, where we are at uh, gas prices wise, we actually had a rise back, back in, uh, 2000, I believe it was 2008. And that was a bigger hit to the pocketbook, but people are reacting very similarly right now, which is something that tells me something that's going on. So, but when you pull out the volatility of fuel and food, CPI is coming down nicely. There were a couple things that were like a mixed bag, like, uh, this owner equivalent, uh, rent, OER, that's shelter is the biggest component of CPI. Part of that is OEM, and that's the owner's equivalent uh, rent. And what it is, is they do a survey of owners and ask them what their home's going to rent out for. And you know what? It actually came up. It was up a little bit. Overall, shelter was down because that's the trend. It's going to be down, but that owner equivalent actually uh, had a little bit of a rise. So, which uh, tainted the number should come down even more than, than, uh, than uh, what people anticipated. But the trend is your friend. The direction of, of uh, CPI is going the right direction. And we look at other, uh, I look at many other uh, uh, inflation index indices, and they're all pointing the same thing. They're all coming down. I'm, I'm fine with where they're going to go. I actually think they're going to come down more than people think. I don't think we'll hit that 2%, but it's people say it'll get stuck at 3%. I'm not in that camp, but we'll have to see. We'll, we'll find out down the road because nobody has the perfect playbook, but CPI, uh, so they didn't like the headline and it affected things. But as you can see, what happened with CPI is the markets reacted. We had this boost and then it came back down. So it's not that big of a deal after they absorbed it and pulled it apart a bit. It's not that big of a change. And if you look at before CPI to where we are today, uh, it's actually very, very similar numbers as far as interest rates and the 10-year treasury. So uh, it's it's like a yawn fest actually is what that, that is. And I know that the trend long-term is your friend, like I said, and that's what we follow in ec economics. It's we look at trend analysis. And if you have one bad reading, it doesn't mean that the whole thing is going to be that way. It's called one reading. That's it. <laughs> Speaking of trends, uh, rates have been extremely volatile lately. And I believe as an economy, we've been used to seeing mortgage rates movements of like 0.05% um, or around there. But daily, it's been jumping extremely like volatile, nearly like 0.2% a day and what could this mean yeah that is when you have a lot of uncertainty in there and there's a lot of people pulling their money out of bonds and the equity market and parking it in cash and they're wondering when they should get into the bond market so we're going to see some volatility until we really see an absolute lid on the economy and we start to see that it comes down because right now everybody's still thinking oh this market's this economy is just going to continue to just a boom and we're just going to keep on going up like crazy forever United States, we are the best economy out there. We are the best out there. But the problem is, is there are uh, different parts of the cycle. Where I see it as the cycle is, you say it's like a roller uh, roller coaster. Well, we're on that, uh, the economy kept on going up and up and up. But it's about to reach the apex where then it comes down. We'll just have to see how much of that we stay at the top. And then when does it start coming down? We have various guesses 
Uh, it could be as early as the first quarter of 2024, second quarter, third quarter. So we split it right down the middle and think it's probably going to happen by the second quarter of 2024 when we get that. And you know that that's going to change. Volatility won't be as, as big of an issue. Once we have a lid and things are coming down, what is going to happen to mortgage rates? Well, all those people that have kept their, their money on the sidelines in cash, they're not going to be flooding their, the uh, equity market because that'll show a slowdown. That's not the time where everybody gets into stock markets. No, they're going to look at a long-term hedge and they just don't want to get stuck getting playing in the long-term uh, uh, game right now because they can get stuck where the rate that, that the rates of 10-year treasuries and 30-year mortgages, they continue to go up higher and higher and higher. And if they get in right now, they didn't get in when it was best. They want to wait till it's best and they know that there's a top. But once there is a significant top, all that cash that's sitting on the sidelines is going to flood the 10-year treasury market and mortgage-backed securities. And as a result, we'll see interest rates come down considerably. Now, as rates have been pretty elevated recently, the National Association of Home Builders, the Mortgage Bankers Association, and the National Association of Realtors, um, as we talked about, collectively wrote a letter to the Fed urging them to refrain from hiking again. Do you think this can have any effect or um, did this come too late? Yeah, no, I actually think they already know it. They This is one of those uh, time periods where... Uh, uh, they want the overall economy to slow, but when they watch the 10-year and uh, what bonds have done recently where they've gone up like crazy, which means people are pulling their money out of it, and now you have interest rates that are higher, it'll, it'll be harder for businesses, and it's going to be harder for people that own, uh, own uh, commercial uh, real estate. As a result... Uh, that they're a lot higher. This is not really where the Fed wants to be. They they were at where they wanted to be, and now all of a sudden it's kind of working on its own, and it overdid it. And that's what they're afraid of. Once they o overdid it, which I was uh, I was in the camp of they shouldn't have done the last couple rate hikes, and now they did anyways because they, everybody out there lacks patience. And as a result, during the last uh, like uh, week, it's like uh, all the Fed presidents all of a sudden are coming out saying, yeah, you know, we're, I think we're good. I think we're good now. So it's not because of these letters that they've got from the real estate industry. It's because there's going to be a lot more pain to come. And they want people to back off these uh, continuing to push the 10-year and long-term rates even higher. It also makes it harder to fund the government. It's more expensive. They don't want to see it go down this road or they're going to be having to pivot sooner and uh, than they really want to. And part of that pivot is they're actually bleeding off their, their balance sheets. And their balance sheets, they've already, they had... Uh, uh, what was it? It's like nine, uh, $9 trillion in, in uh, their, their Fed balance uh, sheet. They actually have already trimmed a trillion dollars off of it so far. So that's from March of 2022. Uh, I think they started it right around there, uh, or I think it might have been June. And so in the past, like, uh, you know, 15 months, they've bled off a trillion dollars. That's a big, significant amount. And that is taking it out of uh, out of bonds. So these bond markets have had, not only have had, they had to have other buyers come in, but the government has virtually been selling their stuff. They aren't, they're not selling it. It's when, when stuff comes uh, due, they used to reinvest it. Now they're not reinvesting it. They're just letting it go. So their balance sheets are draining and it's causing more volatility than is necessary. My argument is they should at least stop that and they can stay true to the short-term rate. But uh, 
Uh, I don't think that they're going to uh, listen to a, a housing analyst over here on the West Coast because they are busy in D.C. making all of their decisions. But I would love to grab their ear because they have been plenty wrong over the long haul. So, uh, but yeah, so if anybody knows anybody at the Federal Reserve and they want uh, to talk to a housing analyst here on the West Coast, uh, I, I'm definitely available. With the rates um, hovering relatively close to 8%, or they did at least last week, for a 30-year fixed mortgage, what can you predict in the market moving forward with rates this high? Uh, yeah, so uh, as long as these rates stay where they're at, uh, we're downshifting the market a little bit further. So what's happening is a we're getting uh, kind of like last year, but not as significant. Because uh, when I look at expected market times across all markets, it was slower during this time of the year last year than it was this year. So we had uh, values coming down faster uh, last year versus this year. But now that we're here, we're downshifting a little bit further and I can actually see that we're going to get some uh, values are going to start to drift downwards. It's not going to like plunge. This is not anything like we need a deluge of homes like the Great Recession prior to the Great Recession and during the Great Recession where we had 4 million homes on the market versus a little over a million right now. So what's going on right now is it's just these higher interest rates are applying enough pressure and that pressure is is going to cause the erosion of, of uh, values until interest rates start drifting down from their highs of where they are right now. So you can see that demand will continue to uh, it's right now repositioning itself, going a little bit lower, and we've seen inventory come up, but that's going to change start starting in twenty. Uh, 24, uh, because at the end of the year, we're going to bleed off a lot of our inventory like we always do. Now, are 8% mortgage rates out of the equation? Is it still possible? Well, there are there are some doomer and gloomers that were talking about 8% interest rates and I just can't stand when they when uh, they're like patting themselves on the back and I totally predicted it and all that stuff. They have nobody has a clue as to where things are going to go. So anybody that predicted a lot of people were predicting in the upper fives uh, towards the end of this year, they've all been wrong, myself included. But uh, there are other people that are saying, no, I can see it at eight percent. But those are the same people that are causing call, calling for crashes and things like that. So. We're not going to get that either. Uh, it, there is no way to foresee the uh, the gradual slowdown of uh, of our economy it being as gradual as, as it is, and it's all been fueled off of people pouring out their savings, and now they're running out of savings. They're writing up their credit card debt, and there's a number of things that are that are headwinds that are going to overall start to slow the economy. And as we see what's going to happen when we slow the economy, we're going to watch bonds and treasuries and, and interest rates go down. So that is, but that's a 2024 story, most likely, because we're running out of real estate here for the rest of the year. Literally, we don't have much runway for 2023. We're almost done. Now, if 8%, say in a hypothetical world where 8% mortgage rates were a thing, what would that look like for the housing market? Well, actually, 8% uh, is already a thing. You have to have perfect uh, credit and um, uh, in order to uh, get that interest rates in this in the sevens. Or you had to put down points and you have interest rates in seven. That's a Freddie Mac mortgage market survey is, is not quite near 8%. It's not even close to seven, three quarters percent. Why? Because of the fact that they're putting points down and the average 
a consumer uh, buyer across the United States pays 0.8 points. So that's significant amount of points, which brings it down under 8%. But if you're not paying any points and you just want to go out there and get a loan and your credit is okay, you're looking at an eight handle on that. So we're already there in terms of 8% uh, mortgage rates. So what does it look like? It looks like what it looks like right now. And that's just, we have basic demand. It's called inherent demand. There are plenty of cash buyers that are out there. Not everybody is going to, uh, to purchase that has cash. So we have more, we have a larger percentage of cash buyers than almost any time. However, there are fewer cash buyers than there were a couple of years ago. But now that they're able to play, they can hardly care less about interest rates, right? They're making up a bigger portion of the whole entire pie. So that's kind of what's going on with, uh, with uh, those rates and how it applies. Now, how would you see, or how do you see the 2024 housing market? How do you see that starting? Yeah, so um, I'm really, actually, there is a silver lining to the fact that we have more homes coming on the market right now, because within the next couple of weeks, we will peak out both uh, locally here in SoCal and for sure by like the, uh, after like the first week of November, then we'll have uh, inventory uh, come down and it plunges for the rest of the year. And uh, some people go, no, it won't. Yeah, it will. It will because December is the home to the fewest number of homes coming on the market. And we already have people just kicking back in their homes, not wanting to move because their rates are so low. And then you you take the lower number and now you're taking a percentage fewer of homes that will even come available in December. December is the lowest number. The second lowest number is November. So we're not going to be adding that more, many more homes. And there's going to be a lot of homes that start pulling their homes off the market, especially in uh, states that get really cold. They're, everybody's going to be enjoying the holidays, but then also there will be snow that will be starting. There's going to be people pulling their homes off of the market. And then you have fewer homes coming in the market. We'll have plunging. Uh, we'll have plunging inventories. Normally during this time of the year, that's what happens. Inventory slowly goes down until we get to about the first second week in November, and then it plunges for the rest of the year. This time we're going to wait all the way until that first second week in November, and then it'll plunge for the rest of the year. Which means that if it plunges, remember we're already at very very low inventory levels. There are very few exceptions. The biggest exception is the one that everybody brings up if you're in the doomer camp, and that is Austin, Texas. They're the one of the only t uh, uh, metros that actually has uh, more homes in the market than 2019. And there are a variety of reasons why that is, and it has nothing to do with the rest of the country, and uh, especially right here in SoCal. So uh, as, as a result, at the we're already at low levels. We're going to plunge further. We'll start off next year. It will be between 2022 levels, which were an all-time low in terms of number of homes per capita across the United States versus 2021, which it'll be below 2021, higher than 2022. And that is for SoCal. For the rest of the country, it might be a little bit different. But you have to understand for 2022, it's going to be uh, that that was really low 2021. We're going to be right somewhere in between there for many, many markets. I think nationally across the United States, it'll, it might be very close to 2021, but 2021 was the second lowest per capita reading for inventory. So we're already dealing with low inventory levels. So we'll start 2024 with not enough homes on the market. And then we'll start to ramp up towards the spring where if people, buyers come into the market before homes come on the market. 
So then they'll, they'll be faced with nothing available and that frenzy can start all over again. The only thing that can change this is if interest rates ratchet up even higher, which if they ratchet up higher and higher and higher, that's just sooner, sooner, sooner before the uh, economy really slows. And then we have those rates that, are, that, that come down significantly. Now, when you're making these predictions and you're looking into the future, what factors go into that and what makes it so difficult to predict? Uh, we're in uncharted waters. We're, we've totally not been here before. There are a couple of uh, time frames that are somewhat similar, but we've just not been here. It's totally different. People like to bring up the Spanish influenza, which was uh, 1920. So uh, that was a long time ago, and we weren't the world worldwide. Uh, we didn't have the worldwide web, and uh, we weren't all connected. And uh, it was we're way more global than we were then. It was more us versus them on the way on the other side of the world. Now the world is a lot smaller, and we're all tightly knit together. So the way that we operate and the way that the economy runs is completely different. So and then we had this big pandemic that totally obscured uh, supply chains. Then we had this one war that obscured uh, supply chains. And we we have another war that's starting that could obscure supply chains even further as far as fuel and stuff like that. So there's all of these different economic forces that are at play, which is very hard. You know, we're in uncharted waters to stay. okay, this is where we're going to go because we like to look back. Economists like to look back at where we were before and try to prognosticate where we're going. The problem is, is there are all these super new variables that just don't uh, that, that we don't just don't know what to do with. And uh, we just haven't been here before. So to forecast out, it's very, very difficult. We're also looking at, there's the, that's what we talk about with uh, what can disrupt our marketplace. It's what we refer to as exogenous shocks. I heard that from Leslie Appleton Young, who is the CA, CAR chief executive, that's California Association of Realtors chief executive. And I wrote that term down because A, I had never heard it prior to that. And I looked it up right when I got home because I like to surround myself with people that are smarter than me. And she's definitely way smarter than me. So I, I uh, exogenous means it's an outside shock. That's all it means. So it's something like uh, uh, COVID was an outside shock that nobody realized was going to happen. And it totally disrupted everything. Uh, if we had a UFO invasion right now tomorrow, uh, yes, that would be an exogenous shock that would affect everybody. So those are the kind of things that are outside forces that could leak their way in towards real estate or other factors of the economy and ultimately slow down the economy. We just don't know what those are. So that's what we're looking at. So And also forecasting, like I said, we just haven't been here before. So to say, okay, this is when the uh, inflation is going to be back in check. This is when we can bring rates down. Nobody has an idea. And let me tell you, the Fed has no clue. Zero. They have no clue. They're just pretending that they know exactly what's going on, which is why they're so data dependent. They're data dependent because they have no idea. So I have to ask, is the idea of a soft landing recession completely out of the door? That's funny that you should ask that right after I said that. It's like a perfect segue, is it not? Because <laughs> you, you know what? Um, we were talking about the soft landing before. There's another time frame where we talked about soft landing, and I actually made it a part of my forecast presentation that I'm doing within offices and and for uh, associations of realtors and those type of things. And what it is is they said they were talking about soft landing 
themselves. The Fed was actually projecting that they would do a soft landing in 2006 and in 2007. And let me tell you, they didn't consult me in 2007 because I knew in 2006 we were in for a major disruption. And when we had the subprime meltdown in March of 2007, and they still were calling soft landing in September of 2007, they were fooling themselves. There is absolutely no way because we already saw mounting foreclosure, short sales, distress that was coming. It was like this giant tidal wave that was coming in the distance and it was obvious. And uh, But they were calling soft landing then. So that's the thing. Keep talking about the soft landing. They have no idea. They're not talking about it as much as the overall general market. If I hear CNBC talk about soft landing one more time, geez Louise, it is just too much that they, that they are relying on. Nobody really knows. That's the thing. I saw a uh, a cartoon with uh, a, a a jet that's upside down, flying upside down. And it says "Fed upside down," and it says we're preparing for a soft landing. That's about right. It's a good analogy. <laughs> Yeah, so cool. on our social media, we made a post sharing how we can return to normal affordability in the housing market, where home prices would have to drop 35% or mortgage rates drop to 4% or income grows to 55%. Which of these is most likely to occur? Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you for posting that stuff, by the way. He uh, So Brandon likes to post things on social media on Fridays where everybody starts talking about it like crazy. And uh, so everybody was talking about this this as well. I think he did two posts that kept me on my toes uh, over last weekend. Yes. Uh, so that is what ultimately it would take to get to 2019 uh, affordability levels. Not anytime soon. We're not going to see values tank. We're not going to see mortgage rates come down enough. Uh, so what was the third one? And then it was uh, income oh, grows 4% yeah. or 55% and, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so income go up 55%. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not happening either. So Brendan, you're making 50% uh, more tomorrow. Yeah, that's just not going to happen across the United States. So unfortunately... That's uh, that's not even what they're trying to do with the unions, uh, with the automakers. I think, what do they want? Like 30% or something like that uh, raise over five years. So uh, we're just not going to see that. It's going to be a combination of some of it and time. So time heals all things. Unfortunately, it's going to take time to get there. And I'm, I, I just have my reservations because I, I, I explained to you what happens when, when uh, the economy cools and mortgage rates go down. Um, that and bonds go down. That's always what happens. People park their money in long-term assets. What is going to happen is we're going to get this big drop in interest rates when the economy slows. And what then is going to happen is we're going to get this sudden rush of business as far as demand is concerned. We don't actually have the capacity for that many more buyers in today's market because we have no inventory. We have people that are kicking back in their homes that are going to continue to stay for longer and longer and longer amounts of time until interest rates make their way down below 6%. And I think it's like turning up the volume a little bit more and more and more homeowners coming on the market. However, it's not until you get to about 5.5% where you see a noticeable uh, shift but there's still a lot of people that are it's 85% of everybody in California has an interest rate of less than 5%. And uh, so 
there are some people that have interest rates less than 4%. There are some people that have 30% that have an interest rate of less than 3%. They're just not going to be uh, selling their, their, their homes anytime soon. But at least we bridge the gap. If we get to five and a half, it's not as big as a jump as going from, let's say you're at three and a half to five and a half. Yeah, that's 2% points more. But going from three and a half to eight, man, that's a chasm. That's the issue right now. So National Association of Realtors recently stated that um, adjustable rate mortgages application jumped 15% week over week and now totaled 9.2% of all mortgage applications since they have a lower starting payment. Um, is this a cause for concern? Because I know this was a thing in the Great Recession or before. Yeah, I'm so panicked. I am very panicked about that. Um Note my sarcasm. You actually have to qualify based upon what the rate can adjust to. And people aren't doing the adjustables like before. They're not getting these little teaser rate interest rates at 3% that go up in six months to 6%. And then, and then every month they, they float higher and higher and higher until they get to like 10%. That's what we dealt with prior to the Great Recession. We had all these adjustable rate mortgages that were connected to various indices like LIBOR and different, they're pegged to different uh, indices. And they kept on going up higher and higher. Can you imagine if they go higher and higher and higher and uh, they could barely afford their payment that they were qualifying at 3% and now they got an interest rate payment. Uh, they are at 9% or something dumb like that. Well, that's what happened. And that's where people got way over their skis and lost their homes. We don't have that. We have the vast majority of everybody up until this point have paid, have fixed rate mortgages. There are some, uh, there are some adjustables. The adjustables are, uh, five-year fixed at a lower rate than the prevailing fixed rate, and then they adjust. And there's seven-year fixed, and then they adjust. There's even 10-year fixed, and they adjust. So they have these long fixed rate mortgages that then adjust. Those are the adjustables that they're talking about. What is everybody betting on right now? They're betting that in three, five, seven, 10 years from now, that rates will be cheaper than where they are today. And at any rate, even if rates get down enough, they can actually refinance right out of those things in a heartbeat. So that's what they're just, uh, their risk, they're, they want to take a little bit more risk and uh, they're willing to take that because they're playing it out. But uh, could they be in a pickle down the road? Absolutely, they could. Uh, chances are most likely not. So uh, I think it would be a decent bet. Uh, it's just up to each individual as to how risk averse they are. Zilla talked about the housing market cooling, how it can help buyers in the market, but with so much scarcity and unaffordability, will it really help them all that much? Can seasonality help too? Yeah, so we're getting into the season where we're already on October. I see all the Halloween decorations all over the place, so uh, that's fun. Zeke loves it. He's five and a half. He thinks this is great. So what does that mean? That means holidays are almost here. And the when we kick off the, the holiday season is, of course, with... Halloween. And then shoot, in like uh, another month, we'll be talking about Thanksgiving. And then in another month, we'll be talking about, uh, you know, uh, Christmas and all the other holidays. And then New Year's right around right around the, uh, the corner and then got all that Hanukkah and everything else. It's just a busy holiday season. Holidays are here. That is typically when if there is a buyer, a seller that really needs to sell, they're going to be met with a little bit less activity. And now that rates are higher, even a little bit less activity. So you have the combination of the both. And this is a really good season 
until more and more homes start coming off the market and it gets depleted by the time it gets to the end of the year, then it's not as much of an advantage. So uh, it's it's like right now is this window. So it actually is a decent time. The only, uh, of course, uh, giant headwind are these gigantic interest rates. And people go, yeah, interest rates were a lot higher. Yeah, well, values are so high compared to when we had interest rates at 8% back in the past that you can't compare the two timeframes at all. We are way more unaffordable right now than we were in the year 2000 when we had 8% interest rates. This is a totally different ballgame. So everybody just needs to stop comparing it to when we had interest rates or higher. I remember in the day we had 18% interest rates. That's the kind of unaffordability level that we have today. It's very similar and actually even worse in many markets than 1981 when we had 18% interest rates. So last episode, I know we touched on assumable mortgages where people would assume or take on the mortgage of the home that they want to move into. Now there's a lot of talks of portable mortgages behind the new supply solution. So um, what is a portable mortgage and can it help our situation? Yeah, there are, you know, we got to stop focusing on the buy side. Yes, it's, uh, we've got to still help out people get into homes that have a hard time uh, qualifying, you know, very, these special first time home buyer programs that they have for people with uh, lower income levels. It's very hard to even get into a home here in California. So, uh, but these are different things that work on the other side of the equation, the supply side of the equation. And there are things that we can do nationally. That is one of them is the portability of mortgages. That means that you could take your existing mortgage and for some fees and different things along those lines, you can actually take your mortgage rate and uh, everything else and apply it to a new home and so that it can free up some uh, some much needed supply. And these people will, of course, go off and do what they need to do someplace else. Because some people just feel landlocked, that they're just going to stay. They're, they they just don't want to move. They're just going to kick back and enjoy their, their, their rate. Why cash in on something else? That'll be something that might be explored down the road. But like I told you, what happens when the market cools, uh, as far as the economy cools down the road, we're going to see rates start to come down. So the idea of portability of mortgage rates will start to diminish uh, a little bit. That's one thing that they, they, they can look at exploring doing, but I hope they explore all of the different uh, areas of different ways of, of uh, um, incentivizing people that are just not gonna move for the, the variety of reasons they don't. Um, most of them that affects their pocketbook uh, on a monthly basis more than anything else. Another one is that capital gains issue. And capital gains is right now you go uh, individuals, it's it's pegged to 1997 values, $250,000 exclusion for a single, $500,000 for a couple. Know that, that that took care of just about everybody back in 1997. What that means is if your value went up as a couple, $500,000 you weren't taxed on that extra $500,000 of gains. And that gains was after you, any uh, structural improvements that you did, any uh, closing costs, an additional $500,000. So that pretty much took care of everybody in 1997. And now that we are where we're at today, it doesn't take care of as many. So some people don't want to move because they're going to be impacted too much with the capital gains tax. And it's it's a real story. I know of uh, one writer uh, that uh, I won't disclose who it is, but they're coming out with an article. And I tried to help him write that article by getting him real live people that could state that I'm not moving because of my capital gains issue. This is what they're exploring on Congress. From what I understand right now, it will not be passed until all the way in 2020. 
this issue is, we're going to have an issue that's going to be a supply issue for quite some time. My best guess is it's going to get to a point where they're going to have to address it sooner than then and bring it up from $250,000 for an individual to $500,000. $500,000 for a couple to $1 million, and that will free up even more inventory. There's a lot of people that qualify for that across the United States that would actually free them up. Um, switching over to commercial real estate, I know you kind of touched on this earlier, but people are now predicting a, well, they kind of have been too, a commercial market crash. Um, is this true with declining prices and how crazy rates are right now? Um, can it affect banking as well? Uh, there's going to be a lot of strain in the commercial sector. There are ways out of this commercial pain that they have that we're going to have to rezone properties and, or, or, and, and make them so that they can do mixed use. Some They can build residential stuff. And there's a lot of things that, that could be done along in, in that arena. It's just people have to be forward thinking rather than reactionary. And unfortunately, we're very reactionary. So there's going to be pain. It's not going to be a, a, a major crash that, that we're seeing, but there's going to be pain in that sector for sure. And a lot of these have to do with interest rates being higher and 10-year treasury being higher. Now the, uh, everything pegged to all those rates. Uh, when these businesses and commercial buildings, they have, uh, they have fixed rates only for a certain amount of time and they have to, uh, uh, they have to go get uh, new financing and they have to do this over and over again. Well, you can actually see what kind of a headwind that is over the next three years. There's not everybody comes due all at once, but this is one of those things that will impact the economy slowly but surely more and more as these companies and uh, you know you know these various investors really start to bleed and might walk away from buildings and things like that. So it's going to cause some pain in the commercial area. So that is to come, but it's not going to be one of those things that's instantaneous. It's not going to be like the residential real estate meltdown where we had subprime and all that stuff, but there will be a lot of pain within that sector. So it'll be this real slow, methodical uh, slowdown. And kind of like what I've said, it's gonna, what's already happening. I mean, uh, has this economy really slowed down? Yes, it's slowed down a bit since where we were a year ago, but it's really a slow progression uh, and down the road, these interest rates are going to take longer to make their way into the economy and this the dial will just be increased on everything. So uh, that's what we anticipate within the commercial sector and of course the rest of the economy. So to finish off this episode, I want to touch on the 1980s housing market. Um, Bank of America economists said for people to use the 1980s as a similar playbook due to like similar themes that they're finding in the economy and the housing market. Is this true? Um, what happened during those times as well? Yeah. So, um, we had values that were going up during the 1980s, even though we had, uh, even though we had interest rates that were so high, the, the issue back in the, uh, 1980s is similar to right now in the overall shock where people were stuck with these low interest rates. And then we have these, all of a sudden these high interest rates back then there were different solutions that they used like AITD, uh, or the, is where they wrap a loan where somebody goes in there, they do lease options. What they do is they're, they are going to buy the house and try to utilize the existing loan and all that stuff where they, there, there's all these convoluted ways of purchasing that they did back then. A lot of those things now that they, they try to they try to pull the trigger on those in today's market, and we are way more sophisticated uh, as far as laws and different things along uh, th those lines, where uh, people just don't want to touch them because most of them actually end up in court. So uh, 
that, that there's a difference right there that's big. There's also, we had, inflation was way more entrenched and way, a way bigger problem back then. Yeah, they eventually did fix it, but we're... The inflation story this time pales in comparison to the 70s and 80s. People like to make those comparisons, but they make in the comparison to the real estate market. There are some similarities to it, but there's definitely some differences. We didn't have the ability to track the number of homes coming on the market and things like that, but I'm sure that that actually ate into some people placing their homes on the market for sure. So then we would have had a playbook going forward, but we didn't have access to that kind of data. So we have that that now. So I'm sure that that existed back then, but it's very hard to take the data set that was back then and and utilize it for today because it just doesn't exist the way that we have access to the kind of data right now. So yeah, while that might be a similarity, we can't pull from that playbook to draw conclusions as to where we're going to go other than kind of the, how things played out. But it's not going to play out the same because uh, we had different issues back then that aren't the same. And we were in a different spot globally versus where we are today. So there's a whole bunch of other factors that you have to look and a lot of different exogenous shocks that we're dealing with today versus back then. So uh, you can't compare it like like for like. There are some similarities. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into another episode of Let's Talk Housing. Now, if you want to learn more about what is going on in today's economy and in the real estate industry across Southern California or the Bay Area, feel free to check out our YouTube or subscribe today at reportsonhousing.com. And please, please leave a good review. And if you have any questions, please feel free to post it to our social media or you can email me at info at reportsonhousing.com. We will see you soon and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you much.